0: Chapter Thirteen of Sylvia's Lovers. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Sylvia's Lovers by Elizabeth Gaskell. Chapter Thirteen. Perplexities. Colson and Philip were friendly, but not intimate. They never had had a dispute. They never were confidential with each other. In truth, they were both reserved and silent men, and probably respected each other the more for being so self-contained. There was a private feeling in Colson's heart, which would have made a less amiable fellow dislike Philip, but of this the latter was unconscious. They were not apt to exchange many words in the room which they occupied jointly. Colson asked Philip if he had enjoyed himself at the cornies, and Philip replied, "'Not much. Such parties are known to my liking.' and yet thou broke off from to watch night to go there?' No answer. So Colson went on, with a sense of the duty laid upon him, to improve the occasion, the first that had presented itself, since the good old Methodist minister had given his congregation the solemn warning to watch over the opportunities of various kinds which the coming year would present. Jonas Barclay told us, as the pleasures of this world were like the apples of Sodom, pleasant to look at, but ashes to taste. Colson wisely left Philip to make the application for himself. If he did, he made no sign, but threw himself on his bed with a heavy sigh. "'Are you not going to undress?' said Colson as he covered him up in bed. There had been a long pause of silence. Philip did not answer him, and he thought he had fallen asleep. But he was roused from his first slumber by Hepburn's soft movements about the room. Philip had thought better of it and with some penitence in his heart for his gruffness to the unoffending Coulson, was trying not to make any noise while he undressed. But he could not sleep. He kept seeing the corny's kitchen and the scenes that had taken place in it, passing like a pageant before his closed eyes. Then he opened them in angry weariness at the recurring vision, and tried to make out the outlines of the room and the furniture in the darkness. The white ceiling sloped into the whitewashed walls, and against them he could see the four rush-bottomed chairs, the looking-glass hung on one side the old carved oak chest his own property with the initials of forgotten ancestors cut upon it which held his clothes the boxes that belonged to colson sleeping soundly in the bed in the opposite corner of the room the casement window in the roof through which the snowy ground on the steep hillside could be plainly seen and when he got so far as this in the catalogue of the room he fell into a troubled feverish sleep which lasted two or three hours, and then he awoke with a start and a consciousness of uneasiness, though what about he could not remember at first. When he recollected all that had happened the night before, it impressed him much more favourably than it had done at the time. If not joy, hope had come in the morning, and, at any rate, he could be up and doing, for the late wintry light was stealing down the hillside, and he knew that, although Coulson lay motionless in his sleep, it was past their usual time of rising still as it was new year's day a time of some license philip had mercy on his fellow shopman and did not waken him till just as he was leaving the room carrying his shoes in his hand he went softly downstairs for he could see from the top of the flight that neither alice nor her daughter was down yet as the kitchen shutters were not unclosed it was mrs rose's habit to rise early and have all bright and clean against her lodgers came down but then, in general, she went to rest before nine o'clock, whereas the last night she had not gone till past twelve. Philip went about undoing the shutters and trying to break up the raking coal with as little noise as might be, for he had compassion on the tired sleepers. The kettle had not been filled, probably because Mrs. Rose had been unable to face the storm of the night before in taking it to the pump just at the entrance of the court. When Philip came back from filling it, he found Alice and Hester both in the kitchen, and trying to make up for lost time by hastening over their work. Hester looked busy and notable with her gown pinned up behind her, and her hair all tucked away under a clean linen cap. But Alice was angry with herself for her late sleeping, and that and other causes made her speak crossly to Philip, as he came in with his snowy feet and well-filled kettle. "'Look thee there, droppin' and drippin' along to flags as was cleaned last night, and meddlin' wi' women's work as a man has no business wi' philip was surprised and annoyed he had found relief from his own thoughts in doing what he believed would help others he gave up the kettle to her snatching hands and sate down behind the door in momentary ill temper but the kettle was better filled and consequently heavier than the old woman expected and she could not manage to lift it to the crook from which it generally hung suspended she looked round for hester but she was gone into the back kitchen in a minute philip was at her side and had heaved it to its place for her she looked in his face for a moment wistfully but hardly condescended to thank him at least the sound of the words did not pass the lips that formed them rebuffed by her manner he went back to his old seat and mechanically watched the preparations for breakfast but his thoughts went back to the night before and the comparative ease of his heart was gone the first stir of a new day had made him feel as if he had no sufficient cause for his annoyance and despondency the previous evening but now condemned to sit quiet he reviewed looks and words and saw just reason for his anxiety. After some consideration, he resolved to go that very night to Hater's Bank and have some talk with either Sylvia or her mother. What the exact nature of this proposed conversation should be, he did not determine. Much would depend on Sylvia's manner and mood and on her mother's state of health. But at any rate, something would be learnt. During breakfast, something was learnt near her home, though not all that a man less unconscious and more vain than Philip might have discovered he only found out that Mrs. Rose was displeased with him for not having gone to the watch-night with Hester, according to the plan made some weeks before. But he soothed his conscience by remembering that he had made no promise. He had merely spoken of his wish to be present at the service, about which Hester was speaking, and although at the time, and for a good while afterwards, he had fully intended going, yet, as there had been William Coulson to accompany her, his absence could not have been seriously noticed still he was made uncomfortable by mrs rose's change of manner once or twice he said to himself that she little knew how miserable he had been during his gay evening as she would persist in calling it or she would not talk at him with such persevering bitterness this morning before he left for the shop he spoke of his intention of going to see how his aunt was and of paying her a new year's day visit hepburn and colson took it in turns week and week about to go first home to dinner the one who went first, sate down with Mrs. Rose and her daughter, instead of having his portion put in the oven to keep warm for him. Today it was Hepburn's turn to be last. All morning the shop was full with customers, come rather to offer good wishes than to buy, and with an unspoken remembrance of the cake and wine which the two hospitable brothers foster made a point of offering to all comers on New Year's Day. It was busy work for all, for Hester on her side where caps, ribbons, and women's gear were exclusively sold, for the shopmen and boys in the grocery and drapery department philip was trying to do his business with his mind far away and the consequence was that his manner was not such as to recommend him to the customers some of whom recollected it as very different courteous and attentive if grave and sedate one buxom farmer's wife noticed the change to him she had a little girl with her, of about five years old, that she had lifted up on the counter, and who was watching Philip with anxious eyes, occasionally whispering to in her mother's ear, and then hiding her face against her cloak. "'She's thought a deal a comin' to see you, and I do not think as ye mind her at all. My pretty, he's clean forgotten as how he said last New Year's Day. He'd giddy a barley-sugar stick if thou'd hem him a handkerchief by this.' The child's face was buried in the comfortable breadth of duffel at these words, while the little outstretched hand held a small square of coarse linen. "'Ay, she's non forgotten it, and has done her five stitches a day, bless her, and I do not believe as ye you know her again. She's Phoebe Morsom, and I'm Hannah, and I've dealt at to shop regular this fifteen year.' "'I'm very sorry,' said Philip. "'I was up late last night, and I'm a bit dazed to-day.' "'Well!' "'This is nice work, Phoebe, and I'm sure I'm very much beholden to you. "'And here's five sticks of barley-sugar, one for every stitch, "'and thank ye kindly Mrs. Morsom, too.' Philip took the handkerchief, and hoped he had made honourable amends for his want of recognition, but the wee lassie refused to be lifted down, and whispered something afresh into her mother's ear, who smiled and bade her be quiet philip saw however that there was some wish ungratified on the part of the little maiden which he was expected to inquire into and accordingly he did his duty she's a little fool she says you promised to her a kiss and to make her your wife the child burrowed her face closer into her mother's neck and refused to allow the kiss which philip willingly offered all he could do was to touch the back of the little white fat neck with his lips the mother carried her off only half satisfied, and Philip felt that he must try and collect his scattered wits and be more alive to the occasion. Towards the dinner hour the crowd slackened. Hester began to replenish decanters and bottles, and to bring out a fresh cake before she went home to dinner, and Colson and Philip looked over the joint present they always made to her on this day. It was a silk handkerchief of the prettiest colors they could pick out of the shop, intended for her to wear round her neck each tried to persuade the other to give it to her for each was shy of the act of presentation colson was however the most resolute and when she returned from the parlour the little parcel was in philip's hands here hester said he going round the counter to her just as she was leaving the shop it's from colson and me a handkerchief for you to wear and we wish you a happy new year and plenty on em and there's many a one wishes the same he took her hand as he said this she went a little paler and her eyes brightened as though they would fill with tears as they met his she could not have helped it do what she would but she only said thank you kindly and going up to colson she repeated the words in action to him and then they went off together to dinner there was a lull of business for the next hour john and jeremiah were dining like the rest of the world even the elder errand-boy had vanished philip rearranged disorderly goods and then sate down on the corner by the window it was the habitual place for one who stayed behind, for excepting on market day there was little or no custom during the noon hour. Formerly he used to move the drapery with which the window was ornamented, and watch the passers-by with careless eye. But now, though he seemed to gaze abroad, he saw nothing but vacancy. All the morning since he got up, he had been trying to fight through his duties, leaning against a hope, a hope that first had bowed and then had broke as soon as he really tried its weight. There was not a sign of Sylvia's liking for him to be gathered from the most careful recollection of the past evening. It was of no use thinking that there was. It was better to give it up altogether and at once. But what if he could not? What if the thought of her was bound up with his life, and that once torn out by his own free will, the very roots of his heart must come also? No, he was resolved he would go on. As long as there was life, there was hope as long as sylvia remained unpledged to any one else there was a chance for him he would remodel his behaviour to her he could not be merry and light-hearted like other young men his nature was not cast in that mould and the early sorrows that had left him a lonely orphan might have matured but had not enlivened his character he thought with some bitterness on the power of easy talking about trifles which some of those he had met with at the corneys had exhibited but then he felt stirring within him a force of enduring love which he believed to be unusual and which seemed as if it must compel all things to his wish in the end a year or so ago he had thought much of his own cleverness and his painfully acquired learning and he had imagined that these were the qualities which were to gain sylvia but now whether he had tried them and had failed to win even her admiration or whether some true instinct had told him that a woman's love may be gained in many ways sooner than by mere learning he was only angry with himself for his past folly in making himself her school nay her taskmaster tonight though he would start off on a new tack he would not even upbraid her for her conduct the night before he had shown her his displeasure at the time but she would see how tender and forgiving he could be he would lure her to him rather than find fault with her there had perhaps been too much of that already when colson came back philip went to his solitary dinner in general he was quite alone while eating it but to-day alice rose chose to bear him company she watched him with cold severe eye for some time until he had appeased his languid appetite then she began with the rebuke she had in store for him a rebuke the motives to which were not entirely revealed even to herself thou are none so keen after thy food is common she began plain victuals goes ill down after feastin philip felt the colour mount to his face was not in the mood for patiently standing the brunt of the attack which he saw was coming, and yet he had a reverent feeling for women and for age. He wished she would leave him alone, but he only said, I had not but a slice of cold beef for supper, if ye'll call that feasting. Neither do godly ways savour delicately after the pleasures of the world, continued she, unheeding his speech. Thou wert wont to seek the house of the Lord, and I thought well on thee, but of late thou'st changed. "'and fallen away, and am unspeak what is in my heart towards thee.' "'Mother,' said Philip impatiently, "'both he and Colson called Alice mother at times, "'I don't think I'm fallen away, "'and anyway I cannot stay now to be. "'It's New Year's Day, and to shop is throng.' "'But Alice held up her hand. "'Her speech was ready, and she must deliver it. "'Shop here, shop there. "'The flesh and the devil are getting hold on ye, "'and ye need more nor ever to speak to ways of grace.' New Year's Day comes and says, Watch and pray, and you say, Nay, I'll seek feasts and marketplaces, and let times and seasons come and go without heeding into whose presence they're hastening me. Time was, Philip, when thou'd never ha letten a merry keep thee for watch night, and to company of the godly. I tell you it was no merry to me, said Philip with sharpness as he left the house. Alice sat down on the nearest seat, and lent her head on her wrinkled hand. He's tangled and snared," said she. "My heart has yearned after him, and I esteemed him as one of the elect. And more nor me yearns after him. Oh Lord, have but one child! Oh Lord, spare her! But o'er and above, ah, I would like to pray for his soul that Satan might not have it, for he came to me but a little lad. At that moment, Philip, smitten by his conscience for his hard manner of speech, came back but alice did not hear or see him until he was close by her and then he had to touch her to recall her attention mother he said i was wrong i'm fretted by many things i shouldn't have spoken so it was ill done of me oh my lad said she looking up and putting her thin arm on his shoulder as he stooped satan is desiring after you that he may sift your wheat. bide at home bide at home and go not after them as care not for holy things why need you go to Hader's Bank this night? Philip reddened. He could not, and would not, give it up, and yet it was difficult to resist the pleading of this usually stern old woman. Nay, said he, withdrawing himself ever so little from her hold, my aunt is but ailing. They're my own flesh and blood, and as good folks as needs be. Though they mayn't be our, your way o' thinking, on all things. Our ways, your ways o' thinking, says he, as if they were no longer hisen and as good folks as need be repeated she with returning severity them satan's words thou ye spoke em philip i can do naught again satan but i can speak to them as can and we'll see which pulls hardest for it'll be better for thee to be riven and rented twain than to go body and soul to hell but don't think mother said philip his last words of conciliation for the clock had given warning for two as i'm bound for hell just because i go to see my own folks all i ha left a kin once more after laying his hands with as much of a caress as was in his nature or hers he left the house probably alice would have considered the first words that greeted philip on his entrance into the shop as an answer to her prayer for they were such as put a stop to his plan of going to see sylvia that evening and if alice had formed her inchoate thoughts into words sylvia would have appeared as the nearest earthly representative of the spirit of temptation whom she dreaded for philip as he took his place behind the counter colson said to him in a low voice jeremiah foster has been round to bid us to sup with him to-night he says that he and john have a little matter of business to talk over with us a glance from his eyes to philip told the latter that colson believed the business spoken of had something to do with the partnership respecting which there had been a silent intelligence for some time between the shopmen and what did thou say asked philip doggedly unwilling even yet to give up his proposed visit "'Say? Why, well, what could I say but that we'd come? "'There was summit up, for sure, and summit as he thought we should be glad on. "'I could tell it, for to look on his face.' "'I don't think as I can go,' said Philip, feeling just then as if the long-hoped-for partnership was as nothing compared to his plan. "'It was always distasteful to him to have to give up a project, or to disarrange an intended order of things. Such was his nature. But to-day it was absolute pain to yield his own purpose.' why man alive said colson in amaze at his reluctance i didn't say i mightn't go said philip weighing consequences until called off to attend to customers in the course of the afternoon however he felt himself more easy in deferring his visit to haytersbank till the next evening Charlie kinraid entered the shop accompanied by molly brunton and her sisters and though they all went towards Hester's side of the shop, and Philip and Colson had many people to attend to, yet Hepburn's sharpened ears caught much of what the young women were saying. From that he gathered that Kinraid had promised them New Year's gifts, for the purchase of which they were come. And after a little more listening, he learned that Kinraid was returning to Shields the next day, having only come over to spend a holiday with his relations and being tied with ship's work at the other end they all talked together lightly and merrily, as if his going or staying was almost a matter of indifference to himself and his cousins. The principal thought of the young women was to secure the articles they most fancied. Charlie Kinraid was, so Philip thought, especially anxious that the youngest and prettiest should be pleased. Hepburn watched him perpetually with a kind of envy of his bright, courteous manner, the natural gallantry of the sailor. If it were but clear that Sylvia took as little thought of him as he did of her, to all appearance, philip could even have given him praise for manly good looks and a certain kind of geniality of disposition which made him ready to smile pleasantly at all strangers from babies upwards as the party turned to leave the shop they saw philip the guest of the night before and they came over to shake hands with him across the counter kinraid's hand was proffered among the number last night philip could not have believed it possible that such a demonstration of fellowship should have passed between them and perhaps there was a slight hesitation of manner on his part, for some idea or remembrance crossed Kinraid's mind, which brought a keen searching glance into the eyes which for a moment were fastened on Philip's face. In spite of himself, and during the very act of handshaking, Philip felt a cloud come over his face, not altering or moving his features, but taking light and peace out of his countenance. Molly Brunton began to say something, and he gladly turned to look at her—' She was asking him why he went away so early, for they had kept it up for four hours after he left, and last of all, she added, turning to Kinraid, her cousin Charlie had danced a hornpipe among the platters on the ground. Philip hardly knew what he said in reply. The mention of that seul lifted such a weight off his heart. He could smile now, after his grave fashion, and would have shaken hands again with Kinraid had it been required, for it seemed to him that no one, caring ever so little in the way that he did for Sylvia— could have borne four mortal hours of a company where she had been, and was not, least of all, could have danced a hornpipe either from gaiety of heart, or even out of complaisance. He felt as if the yearning after the absent one would have been a weight to his legs, as well as to his spirit, and he imagined that all men were like himself. End of chapter 13